I'm just going to start uh, our last passage in 1 Peter this morning at chapter 5, verse 1. And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you'll get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you younger men must accept the authority of the elders, and all of you serve each other in humility. For God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. In, the, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you've suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will put you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. So uh, sometimes when I get to the door of the church and I'm shaking hands, um, over the years, sometimes people come up to me and they'll go, have you been reading my diary? Uh, I feel like either that or you've been gossiping about me. You've been listening to people and people have told you or somewhere you got insider information and I felt like you were preaching right at me. That's not true. I don't read people's diary. I don't listen to gossip about you. And in fact, I wouldn't even take credit for knowing. It's not like I'm psychic or anything. But, but God knows what you're going through. And, and when you read scripture, when you dig into it, when we try to explain it in a, in a clear fashion, whenever the word kind of comes across to people, there are those who are ready to receive it. And so they have that response. And, and so often they'll feel like the word is speaking to them. And that makes sense. If we've got an eternal God who this is the word of and he, an infinite God who's got an infinite word that, that speaks to us on a deep level because he understands us and he loves us and because his word is his gift to us so that we can understand him and know where we stand with him. So it makes sense that if, if I'm having an okay day preaching and you're having an okay day listening, that those dots would connect and that sometimes you would feel what God is doing in you. And so I get that comment sometimes and people feel like the scripture is speaking to them. Well, this morning as we come to the end of this book, this letter of First Peter, where he's written to these various churches and I think a number of you have felt like he's speaking to us in our time, in our community, with some of the situations we face. And, uh, 
And now we come to the end of the letter and he says, and now a word for you who are elders in the church. And in case you haven't been around church long enough, elders means like pastors, like the leaders of the churches, the people who stood up and preached. So me. And so uh, when, when people say that, that, you know, it feels like it hit them between the eyes, it's my turn to be on the receiving end of that. And so as Peter sums up his letter, he's written to these various churches. They're all in situations where they're hard-pressed, where the world around them is not a kind culture, where, where the empire is pushing in on them and they feel that their values as the people of God aren't appreciated and, and they aren't appreciated for trying to love people like Jesus taught them to. And so there's this pressure that, that pushes in and, and attacks them and they feel like they're under, under target. And so Peter ends by talking to the pastors, to the leaders, and he says, listen, you know, I'm writing you as a fellow elder. And when he says that, he's saying, you know, he's, he's Peter, and, and we know the stories. We know the beginning of his story. We, we dealt with that a, a bit over Christmas, that, that he's one of the first of the 12 that, that was called by Jesus to follow him. He's the one that stepped out of the boat when it was time to walk on water, the only one that stepped out of the boat. He's the guy that followed Jesus faithfully. He's part of the 12. He's part of the inner circle of, you know, Peter, James, and John. And, and, and if you're in Sunday school, you remember stories about those guys. They were the ones that went, you know, when it was even a smaller crowd than the 12 that went with Jesus. And so Peter was right next to Jesus. He watched Jesus do all these miracles. He heard what Jesus taught. He was inspired by Jesus. He wanted to stand up for Jesus in the end. He was willing to take on the battalion of soldiers, right, that came to arrest Jesus with a dagger, a whole battalion. And he says, I'll take y'all on. You're not getting to Jesus. This is a guy who loved Jesus. And when he failed him and was restored because he really didn't understand what Jesus was saying about the impending cross. And then after Jesus was crucified and risen, Jesus meets with him on the beach and he restores him. And if you haven't picked up the threads in, the, in this letter, over and over again, we've, we've seen that he, he explains how central the cross is to now his understanding of who God is. So he goes, everything changes with the cross. Everything is impacted by the cross. If you guys are suffering, you need to understand that that can have meaning because of the cross. And so Peter, as he writes, he writes to the leaders last, and he says, listen, this is what you've got to face. And so Peter, the, the, it's the pastors that Peter the apostle is speaking to, and he says, and now a word for you who are elders in the churches, I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ, and I too will share in his glory when he's revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. He says, I too saw his sufferings. And he's talking to pastors that are new pastors, that are spread out, people that heard about Jesus after Jesus had left the earth and he was the close companion of Jesus. But instead of saying, you know, I know Jesus and let me tell you about Jesus and I'm the expert here. He says, I'm just a fellow elder. Kind of underselling it, isn't he? And so he says, as a fellow elder, as somebody who loves the people of God, like you guys love the people of God, let me explain a few things to you. 
as a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And, and it's not that he lowers himself to, to their level, it's that he pulls them up, he honors them, and he says, we all saw Jesus suffering, whether we saw it directly or not. I'm a witness to the sufferings of Christ. I know the truth of what Jesus went through. And I too will share in his glory when he's revealed to the whole world. And so he says, as a fellow elder, I appeal to you. So his, he, what he's writing and the advice he's about to give, he says, I'm sharing this because I saw his suffering, but I also know that he will be re his glory is, is imminent. And I, we share in his sufferings, so we're going to share in his glory too. I'm going to and you're going to. And so he says, as a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Elders, of course, reveals to, uh, refers to pastors. And so Peter writes to pastors like me and, and, and as a fellow pastor. And considering he was one of Jesus' inner 12, that's amazing. And it's pretty humble of him. And then he advises pastors. He says, care for the flock that God's entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you'll get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. He says, care for the flock. Like, look after the people of God. These people are being entrusted to you. You remember on the beach, Jesus had said to him, feed my sheep. Look after the people of God like they were sheep. Sheep are completely dependent on their shepherd. They're not particularly smart animals. And so Peter goes, look, look after them. They can't look after themselves. Care for them. Watch over them willingly, not grudgingly. And so he picks up on a thread that actually runs through the entire of the scriptures. And you find in the Old Testament, uh, there's the image of Old Testament leaders in Israel. And so first in, in Isaiah 40, 11, it says, uh, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will care for the lambs in his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother sheep with their young. Talking about God and saying he, he looks after us, like he cares for us. He tends to us, like, like we're completely dependent on him. And so this image of being a shepherd with the sheep is said of God in Isaiah. And then, and, and then the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 34, he says, uh, what sorrow awaits the leaders of my people? Oh, sorry, in Jeremiah 23:1, What sorrow awaits the leaders of my people, the shepherds of my sheep, for they have destroyed and scattered the very ones they were expecting, expected to care for, says the Lord. So, so God is saying to the people who are the leaders of Israel, like you've messed up and you're not looking after people. You're not caring for them. What sorrow awaits for them, the shepherds of my sheep. They've destroyed and scattered the very ones they were expected to care for. He says, you've taught them, you've led them in such a way that they've gone astray. And that's for their destruction. And so he warns them as leaders, they need to be careful about how they care for the sheep. 
in Ezekiel. Zechariah says the same thing in the Old Testament. And then we move to the New Testament. And in Matthew's gospel, it says, when he saw the crowds, speaking of Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. They were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He says the people of God were confused and helpless because they didn't have a shepherd. And Jesus went like, I'm going to look after them. I feel for these people. My heart breaks because it's like they're wandering around and they need my help. And then in, in John's gospel, in chapter 10, he says, but one who enters the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief or a robber. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And so the picture of a shepherd, you know, doing things the right way and caring for the sheep and not there to do the sheep harm or to exploit the sheep, uh, but, but to care for them. And he says the sheep know the shepherd's voice and the shepherd looks after the sheep. Like we recognize the voice of Jesus and know that he's God. And he says as the people of God, you know, that brings comfort and strength and direction. And so, like I said, he says to Peter, do you love, my, love me? And Peter goes, you know I love you. He says, feed my sheep. Like, that's your job now. I'm going soon, and you've got to care for these people. And so Peter gives them that advice. That's serious advice. It's advice that pastors carry as that weight, that our job is to look after people, to care for them to bring them along, to point them to God, to wrap them in God's comfort when they're grieving and to challenge them with the word of God when they need a nudge. And to be listening for God's voice and going, I, I don't want to mess this up. I, I remember early days as a pastor, I'd go into my office before anybody arrived for church and I'd pray like, God, I, I, I got to get this right. Like It's so important. And I'm, I, I, I'm only... I've only got so many skills, <laughs> like I'm new at this. And I felt like I was completely inept, but I totally, I think the only thing I had going for me, I was completely dependent on God. I needed him so badly to teach me how to do this. And it's like, teach me to care for them. And every new church I moved to, that's one of my first prayers is, God, give me a love for them like you've got for them. I'm moving to a new place and my heart's full of these people I've just left that, that you, you asked me to move away from and, and I, I love them like crazy. You gave me that love for them and I love them so much. They're like family to me and now I gotta go to a new place. Give me the same love in the next place. And I start off with this tiny little heart that like is like the Grinch grows like every time I move because there's room for new people in there. And he gives me this, this love for the people that I serve. And that's why Peter gives this advice and he says, look after the sheep and, and do it in this way. He says he, that first he wants to explain to them the motivation to these pastors. And so he says, this is what you need to do. He says, the one, or uh, care for the flock God has entrusted you, watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. And in saying that, he's saying, do this for this reason. He comes to the right motivation for pastors to do what they do. He says, do it because, don't do it because you have to. Don't do it grudgingly. Don't do it because 
you have to. Do it because God calls you. Don't do it because you have to. Not because you have to, but because God is calling you to do it. That's got to be your motivation. You, you can't be doing it because it's a job or because there's pressure on you or, or because of any of those things. He says, you got to know. And there are moments, man, there are moments when, you know, most of the time I say they pay me to talk about Jesus. This is the best job in the world. That's, that's my baseline. But there are moments when you go, you know, I wouldn't do this for anybody but you, right? There are moments when you rely on your call and you go, Whatever I'm going through, however hard it is, however misunderstood you feel as a pastor, however much you might get that urge sometimes, and it doesn't come from God to want to quit and to, and to lay it all down and write it all off. And you look back and you go, I can't go anywhere because he's called me here. He's put me here and he made really clear where I'm supposed to be. And it's like I start trying to talk him out of it. And the whole time he's reminding me, I put you exactly where I want you and it might not look like it's going well, but I've got this. And every time I listen to him, he does something. And so Peter gives good advice from my experience. Don't do it because you have to. Don't do it grudgingly. Don't do it because, out of a sense of duty to God, but do it because he's called you. Because he's put this calling on your life and sent you where he wants you to go. And then he says, don't do it for money. Like, don't do it for what you can get out of it. In scripture, it, it spells it out in the original languages, like, like the people who are doing it for some kind of profit. There's something they get from it. And it might not seem all that exciting, but sometimes it is, and it has been. But he says, don't do it for the money. Don't do it for the things that you can get out of it. I always say, I don't do it for the money. I do it for the glamour. Because it's glamorous being a pastor, I'll tell you. But he says, don't do it for that gain. Don't do it for money. Do it because you're eager to serve. Like, don't do it to be the big shot and to gain and for everybody to honor you and everybody to kind of think you're the greatest. Do it because you have a heart to serve. That's a big ask, but an incredible burden. And yet a light one when God calls you to do that. So he says, not begrudgingly, but willingly. Not for what you get out of it, but because you're eager to serve God. And then he says, not for power, but because you're an example. He says, don't lord it over people. Like, don't, don't think you're the big shot and, and everybody, you know, you don't have to do anything or do any work and, and everybody's there to, to honor you. Don't be the big shot and lord it over people, but lead by example. And he spells out that his example is about humility. It's about being humble and about being the one that serves. And so he says, don't do it for gain. Don't do it grudgingly. Don't do it for gain. Don't do it for power. Our world is full of people jockeying for position. And it's the last thing we need in the church. And so as elders, as leaders, we're taught not to lord it over the flock, but to humbly serve and so if you, if you take time to look through the New Testament, Paul's example in the letters that he writes over and over again 
he shows this example of humility and, and teaches his protégés to attach, to, to approach things from a humble perspective. And then Paul addresses those under the authority of the elders. And, and what he says to them, he says, in the same way you younger men must accept the authority of the elders, all of you serve each other in humility, for God opposes the proud but favors the humble. He says to all of you in the church, and he doesn't mean just men, he means all of them, right? And so he says, all of you who are younger, all of you who are less experienced in the faith, all of you who are part of the church, he says, accept the authority of the elders and all of you serve each other in humility. I think that's a beautiful picture. He says, accept the authority, but understand the authority isn't to put their foot down. It isn't the authority of the pastor to say, this is the way it's going to be and that's it. It, it isn't this kind of sense of, uh, of, of the high and lifted up and the leader is, is, is completely in charge and you just bow at their feet. And As nice as that might be some days. He says, accept the authority of the elders. And then to put that authority in perspective, he says, all of you, all of you elders and all of you people in the church, he says, all of you serve each other in humility. The goal is always service. It's the goal of the leaders and it's the goal of the followers that you all work together and serve each other. So it's never about just being served, but it's always about serving. And he says, serve each other in humility, for God opposes the proud, but favors the humble. And so humble yourselves, he goes on to say, under the mighty power of God, like we all sit under his leadership and he's the one that leads us. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. And so we feel the care of God for us and we know that we're in it together and we seek to serve each other and that's how the church functions when it's healthy. So that people and leaders and pastors all serve knowing that it's God that we serve and that when I serve you and we serve each other, we're doing what God's called us to do as the people of God. And so Peter gives this advice to the leaders and the, and the followers in the church and then he warns them about the devil because he will get involved whenever you try to live like that. And so he says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. He says, look, to this, these churches who are suffering, to these churches who feel like a lot of people around them in their culture are out to get them in that situation where they're feeling pressed in and they're feeling the pressures of daily life and they're trying to live for Jesus and they're trying to love the people around them and they're getting nothing but hate in return. He says to them, look, watch out for the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion. He's trying to get you and devour you. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. And remember, when you feel the pressures of the world and you know the threat of the enemy, Satan, 
he says, remember your Christian brothers all over the world are going through the same thing. It's like he points out to us that we may feel all those pressures and feel all that that's pushing in on us. We may feel the culture around us so close. And he says, listen, look a little broader and realize you got brothers and sisters in the faith in this congregation, in Whitewater region, in Canada, in North America, around the world. And you're part of something that spreads like that. And that's why I think it's so important, the mission work that we do, because it isn't that, you know, God couldn't look after the people in Africa or the people in Japan or the people around the world or even China. It isn't that God can't care for them without us, but it helps to remind us that we are part of a global church, that God loves the kids in Africa and the kids in Japan and the kids in China and the people who don't know him and are completely against the gospel. He loves them so much that he wants us to love them too. And sometimes giving that gift, keeping up on what's happening, praying for believers around the world reminds us that we are not in this alone. And that we are not part of a small movement. We are part of what God is doing around the world by his spirit. And his spirit is powerful. And his spirit is changing lives. And his spirit is filling people with his presence so that whatever the world throws at them, they stand firm in the gospel. And Peter says, we are all part of that. And you got brothers and sisters all over the place, man. You're not alone. Remind yourself that you're part of that and it'll make you feel less powerless. And you will know the power of God at work in them and in you. So he says, Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. Don't think that it's just you. And so stand firm, fight the devil, know that you're not in it alone. Truth is that Satan's no match for the church when the church is united. When the church is the people of God from everywhere, all together on the same page, loving Jesus and serving him faithfully. And when we have our church family, it reminds us that we, Satan can't do anything to us when we stick together, when we use our gifts and when we encourage and strengthen and, and, and build each other up. We become a force to be reckoned with and don't underestimate the church that has that going for it because they are a force that he has nothing he can throw at. And then Peter gives them a reminder that their, their trouble is temporary. He says, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you've suffered for a little while, can you imagine these churches, the pressure of the system they're in, the way that they're being persecuted, the things that they face daily where their lives are actually at risk and they're being threatened. And he says, man, you're just going to have to suffer for a little bit. Like compared to eternity, this isn't going to last very long. You suffer for a little while. And after you've suffered for a little while, he will restore, support and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation, all power to him forever. Amen. 
nothing more to be said, drop the mic, like that's it. That's what amen means. No more can be said. Like it's like, that's it. And Peter ends on that note. He says, listen, if you are doing this and if you're working in this together, if you know that you're part of the body of Christ then whatever Satan or the world throws at you, know the power of God is bigger and stronger and he is supporting you and he puts you on a firm foundation. When you feel like your feet are slipping, know that you can stand firm in him and you will be fine. Don't walk around shaky and scared and intimidated. Don't let Satan get those toeholds where he gets into your life and makes you feel like it's all crazy and you can't deal with it. Because God's still God. And Peter saw what God could do in Jesus. So he reminds pastors like me and he reminds congregations like you, God is our God. He put us together for a reason and he is still at work and he's still in control and he is still good and he still loves and cares for us. And there's nothing the world can throw at us that is bigger or more menacing than that, no matter what it looks like. And so we trust in him. And so Peter says, all glory and power to him. That's it, people.